This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Well, the costumes, there were originally 1,392 costumes. And the reason I know that is because I own almost 1,200 of them. Welcome to Range, stories of the new American West. I'm Julia Ritchie. And I'm Amy Westervelt. You just heard from Karen Burns, a former showgirl, and... My claim to fame is owning one of the largest private collections of vintage costumes in the world, according to the New York Times. But before we find out how she came to acquire those costumes, Amy, I must first confess a secret. Ooh, what's that? I love musicals like not just like but love pajama games singing in the rain my fair lady south pacific i had vhs copies of all of them growing up and i still find that i get overly defensive when i meet people who hate the whole bursting into song as a plot device i also love musicals and i was a kid who grew up taking jazz classes so i get it i share your love (laughs) Uh, and i think there's nothing wrong with explaining things through song this episode is brought to you by shopify Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. But also, I think some of these costumes are equally as spectacular as the musicals themselves. Exactly. And that's where we begin our interview with Karen Burns. For 37 years, Karen has been a dance educator, choreographer, and producer in northern Nevada, where she was born and raised. But showbiz was not exactly her first career choice. I was probably one of the most clueless chorus dancers in the world, being raised in this Reno-Tahoe area. I started snow skiing at the age of three as opposed to dancing, and I didn't have any exposure to arts or culture or anything because I was raised by a strict German mother and a traveling vacuum cleaner salesman father. So I was going to the university, and I was, um, again, skiing since the age of three, and I was a professional ski instructor, and freestyle skiing had just started. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go on the circuit and do a free, be a freestyle skier. And they had ballet skiing. So at 20 years old, I walked into my first ballet class. Pretty old for, <laughs> to start dancing. And um, almost two and a half years later, I was dancing professionally. Karen's first show was an all-male drag queen review at a club in Wildwood, New Jersey. She played the quote-unquote real girl in the show, which was actually her title. Karen described this time as a little crazy. She soon had her doubts about the performer's lifestyle, so she flew back to Reno and started her master's degree in education. Until one night in 1978, she went with her friend to see a new show that everyone was talking about that had just opened at the MGM Grand Casino in town. It was called Hello, Hollywood, Hello. And 
It opened in 1978. It was billed as the biggest show in the world, on the biggest stage in the world, in the biggest little city in the world. It was a big deal. It changed Reno completely. And so I went to see the show, had no idea, because the only MGM movie I'd ever seen was uh, Wizard of Oz. And again, I had no clue about any of the movies or show business. And I was asked to audition actually that night, and it was on a Friday night, and started rehearsals in between contract on a Monday. And it was, it was staggering and overwhelming, because there was 146 dancers in the show originally. To back up for a minute, how MGM ended up in the high desert is an interesting aside, as Karen explains. How it came here is 1979, Kurt Kerkorian bought MGM Studios. And he bought it because he wanted the sophistication and glamour that was associated with the MGM name. And then he attached it to two um, hotel casinos, one in Las Vegas, MGM Las Vegas, and then the one in Reno. Get it at the MGM Grand Reno with a showtime at the Grand Vacation. Imagine grand accommodations for one night and Don Arden's spectacular Hello Hollywood Hello, all for just $29 per person. And so to have the biggest name that will ever be in entertainment come to this area, oh my gosh. And plus the hotel was the biggest one that was ever built here. Showtime at the Grand and have a roaring good time. Aha, so Kerkorian was trying to diversify his holdings and spread that Hollywood brand to the rough-and-tumble West. And to do that, he hired American choreographer and producer Don Arden, who became known as the master of these over-the-top, no-expense-spared musical tributes to old Hollywood. He's credited as the inventor of the Las Vegas showgirl, the statuesque woman bedazzled with headpieces, feathers, and lots of bling. Which is a little creepy if you think about it. It's a lot creepy. <laughs> Donar was very, very well known already, but when Kirk Kerkorian hired him, he became, you know, the master of these spectacular over-the-top shows. He created Hallelujah, Hollywood, Hello, then Hello, Hollywood, Hello, and then he created Jubilee. To show you just how endangered this entertainment form is, Jubilee, the last of Arden's showgirl epics, actually closed after a 35-year run just a few weeks ago in Vegas. You can still find a few throwback videos to Jubilee and Hello Hollywood Hello, like this 1980s news clip that does a nice job summarizing the genre. But perhaps Las Vegas is best known for its opulent production numbers, where tall, beautiful showgirls share equal billing with their extravagant costumes. This form of entertainment has its roots in the nightclub acts of Paris during the Art Deco era and the folly reviews created by Florence Ziegfeld for Hollywood and Broadway. Yet there's something uniquely Las Vegas about these shows and Don Arden's Jubilee at Bally's Casino is the definitive example of this. It's classic Las Vegas. Cla well, what is classic Las Vegas? Glorifying the gender um, and the true Ziegfeld style. Um, Las Vegas historically has been uh, uh, French shows, and, and that kind of covers the, the gamut. I, do, I don't want to say nudity, because uh, one would think nudity is a strip show, and this by no imagination is, uh, is a strip show. Jubilee cost $10 million when it opened in 1981, and $3.5 million went into the costumes alone. And Karen estimates Hello, Hollywood, Hello was probably in the same ballpark. The stage was more than an acre wide and boasted a full-size 737 airplane for one of its signature numbers. When the show was put together, there was a no expense spared in creating the costumes. And so every costume has authentic, real um, Swarovski rhinestone crystals and Paris feathers and there were seven wardrobe or costume shops that created it. Four in Hollywood, two in New York, and one in Paris. They also employed Tony and Emmy award-winning costume designers, Pete Menefee and Bill Campbell. And in fact, Pete Menefee designed these crazy space costumes for the show. 
because space was very in at the time. Just think back to David Bowie's Ziggy Stardust phase. And Pete's space robot designs for the Reno show actually landed him an even bigger gig, according to Karen. Um, way back when, Cher was dating Gene Simmons. He was just starting Kiss. He needed someone to do his costumes. Pete Menefee had just done this show, Hello Hollywood, Hello. Bob Mackey was too busy, said, use my friend Pete Menefee. So this is Pete Menefee who did Kiss that designed all these space costumes. So basically she's saying Kiss are showgirls. <laughs> yeah, which they totally are. Yeah. Uh, allegedly designer Bob Mackey may have custom sewn some of the costumes in Karen's collection too. Which brings us to the real mystery of this episode. How did a local chorus girl end up the owner of this massive one-of-a-kind MGM costume collection? The show had been closed uh, six, seven, eight years. And so the costumes had been sitting there. And so when I would do shows for, at the time, it was Bally's and it was Hilton, they would allow me to use some of them for shows that I was doing for the hotel, for their corporate clients. And so I would say, well, since this stuff is sitting here, I would really like to buy some of this. And it got to be a standing joke that the entertainment director, when I'd come in, he, he would half jokingly said, oh, gee, she's back. Security, escort this woman out of my office because he was really kind of done with me because I was always, hi, I really want to buy some of those costumes. How can I buy some of those costumes? And he's looking at me thinking, I got MGM, Universal, Bally's, wants this stuff. Who are you to be talking to me? <laughs> right? Get out of here. But Karen was persistent and would bring up the idea of purchasing the costumes whenever she saw someone at the hotel, which by then had changed hands two more times. Then one day I, I brought it up and I will never forget we actually were on the stage and they were doing something. The show was coming and I said, you know, I really want to buy some of those costumes. And they said, okay, make us an offer. Totally got me by surprise. And um, so I made a list. Okay, I'd like 10 of these and 10 of these and five of these and this and that and offered an X amount of money and then basically brought it in said, well, if you, you know, quadruple this by times, 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 we'll, we'll consider selling them to you. Okay, now I'm dying to know, how much did she pay for them? I did ask her. That is the big secret question. Let's just say I'm still paying a loan. <laughs> I'm fascinated. How does she organize it all? Very meticulously. She has easily more than a thousand square feet of warehouse space in a detached garage behind her house. Remember that group of lady bosses we profiled in our first episode? Yeah. She took a few of us on a tour, which I recorded. Yeah, the ones down at the back there of the turn of the century, all the 1900s. Each one of those dresses, and I'll show you the headpieces upstairs, that you, the girls are wearing over 100 pounds on their body between the dresses and the slip and the headpieces and all that, carrying 100 pounds. And these are Roaring Twenties from Chicago and then Western and, and uh, yeah, on and on. Clowns? Clowns are up back that way. Okay. <laughs> Watch yourself up here. There were 900 pairs of handmade leather shoes. Each one of these handmade leather shoes, I just had a lady here from the university and she said, these shoes now would be between six and $800 a pair. And again, they're all custom made. It goes on and on and on and on. 900 pairs of leather shoes? Yes, everything is boxed, labeled, or hung according to the dance sequences in the show. But this isn't like some costume rental shop you go to for your sexy police costume on Halloween. Oh no, the quality of these costumes is not even replicable today. You know, you can go to Walmart, you can get a sparkly little bra, and then throw a couple of plastic beads on, which I don't have any right here. And maybe the costume is 25 to $30. If you put the wig on, it might be $40 or 15 people go, oh, a costume. I go, yeah, this headpiece right here, I can't even value it. 
but it's probably between two and three and four thousand dollars, just the rhinestones on it. Karen isn't just preserving and commemorating the showgirl culture she was a part of, though. She's trying to tell younger generations about the history of the region and its connection to old Hollywood. At one time, northern Nevada, starting with Virginia City, was considered the inter- one of the entertainment capitals of the world, which when I always you know, lecture and, and tell people this, you can see that kind of, what? And I said, yeah, way before Las Vegas, and then they really think I'm crazy. But between you know, Piper's Opera House in Virginia City and the Cal Neva at South Shore, once owned by Frank Sinatra, and Harris Reno and Harris Lake Tahoe, I mean, it was you know, staggering the entertainment that was here. And a lot of it was, you know, the major big name entertainment of Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis and Judy Garland and Barbara Streisand and Liberace, I mean, on and on and on. The reason shows like Hello, Hollywood, Hello started fading away, according to Karen, is that after 11 years in Reno, everyone had already seen it multiple times. But it also has to do with economics. These shows were never that profitable to begin with and were aimed at luring people in to gamble and eat and drink. As profit margins began declining on those other things, opulent productions made less sense. Even as MGM boss Kurt Kerkorian, considered the godfather of the Vegas mega resort, was selling the super nostalgic version of Hollywood to tourists in Reno and Vegas, back in Culver City, California, he was liquidating most of MGM's props and costumes and ended up raising the old studio to make way for real estate development. Man, that is depressing. Exactly. So what's Karen's goal with this collection if she's not running them out? Well, she's been able to lecture some and do pop-up shows where she takes a few of the costumes out on mannequins and tells the stories behind each costume and how Reno got a taste of the glamorous life, if only for a short bit. But she has an even bigger goal. If I was put out, my big dream would be having a traveling show that has 20, 30 of these costumes and we have them on display in museums and schools and traveling you know, showing it and then having a show that people are wearing them because costumes should be worn by people and they should be on stage and people see how this, you know, moves as opposed to being on a mannequin. Julia, I'm dying to see her collection. It seems to me like museums would be jumping at the chance to showcase some of them. Actually, after we were done recording, Karen told me she'd been getting the cold shoulder from local arts organizations. Seriously? Yeah, she's like stuck in this rut where older people still have all these kind of weird sexist hangups against showgirls, kind of associating them with strippers. That's ridiculous. I know, especially considering how popular costume exhibits are becoming. I think about the First Ladies exhibit um, at the American History Museum. Yeah. There's always a line to get in there. And you remember that uh, really bad movie, Showgirls? The one where the chick from Saved by the Bell goes to Vegas and like does quaaludes and becomes a stripper. (laughs) Yes. That one. So good. Uh, When it came out, or so bad. When it came out in the mid-90s, Karen says her business plummeted. Oh. And I do think it's kind of hard to really get a sense of how spectacular her collection is until you actually see it in person. The level of craftsmanship is really astounding. That's unfortunate. That movie is hilarious to watch now, though. (laughs) I know. I love it. (laughs) I think Karen's story also shows that with the decline of gambling in Reno and in Nevada in general, the whole area is kind of trying to figure out what it's going to be now. Yeah, I've been living in Reno for about eight months now, and I can tell you that this identity crisis is very strongly manifested in what people, particularly elected officials, say when they're like promoting the city. You'll hear like all the strong lip service to skiing, like Tahoe, all the new tech industry coming to uh, this area, even the university. But you'll rarely hear anybody go, 
hey, how great is the silver legacy in Circuit Circus? That's true. And to be honest, they are kind of sad. Yeah, they are. <laughs> Very smoky. <laughs> Casinos are probably fodder for another episode of Range. Speaking of which, what are we doing next time? I'm glad you asked, Amy. In our next installment of Range, we're going to be exploring the booming business of the newly legalized medical marijuana industry. Please tell me it's coming out on April 20th. Get it? <laughs> 420. <laughs> I've already got our late night trip to In and Out planned. <laughs> this episode of Range was produced by me, Amy Westerdahl. And me, Julia Ritchie. Special thanks to Nico Columbant for advice. All of our original music is by the talented Mr. David Whited. Additional sound was from Hello, Hollywood, Hello. And if you like what you heard today, please consider giving us a rating on iTunes and hop on the Range Wagon. We're also available in the Stitcher app now, so if that's where you get your podcast, check us out there. Our partner is High Country News, a magazine focused on Western issues. Check them out at hcn.org. And if you have an idea for a show or want to tell us which well-worn VHS musical you grew up watching, shoot us an email at howdy at rangepodcast.org. Also, you can check out some photos from Karen's incredible costume warehouse on our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. See you in two weeks. Call your travel agent for toll-free 800-648-5080 now for MGM Reno's Showtime at the Grand. And have a roaring good time. Time to be the May West of uh, podcasting. <laughs> yes. Welcome to range. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> <laughs> Whew.